Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. (laughs) I'm so delighted to be here to be sharing with you in your monthly Bible study. And I would certainly like to commend Pastor Adrian Davis, Pastor Murray Fomitaire. He's not here today. He's a kitchen. I see. Uh, For their continued dedicated service to God's people. And to commend you, the brethren here, for your steadfastness in the faith. It's really good that we can take the time out to look at subjects that are sometimes a bit difficult or controversial, if you may, to grapple with. And uh, the subject we have at hand is uh, certainly one that falls in that category. And so I would like to ask for your patience in trying to listen through the presentation. I would like at the end to be able to interact with your questions. The subject certainly cannot be thoroughly exhausted um, in any single presentation, but it certainly will present quite a bit of food for thought and some answers to some of the more difficult uh, issues that may be on our mind as to whether Jesus is God, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Now the question as to whether Jesus is God is not a modern issue. It's an age-old issue that had its origin in the first century, just when the church began. And there were many who resisted the idea that Jesus is God. And the apostles, they had challenges on their hand trying to convince those who sought to oppose the idea that Jesus is God. If you turn with me to 2 John 2 and 1 John 4, you can keep your finger there, verse 2 again. It brings out to us the fact that the Apostle John was contending with and seeking to combat the opponents to the scriptural teaching that Jesus is God. And he characterized those who opposed this doctrine as Antichrists and deceivers. 
Now that's very important because we are 2,000 years removed from the actual Christ event. And therefore, the more reliable sources for answering this doctrine must also depend upon those who had the first-hand information on it and one such person was the Apostle John. What was the teaching of the Apostles? In reference to Jesus Christ, first of all, keep your finger where you are, but John 1, 1. That's the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. It declares, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that's a very, very clear um, statement. It goes on in verse 3, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. So he was not only God, but he was creator. You step down to verse 14 of that same chapter 1. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is this verse 14 that was the issue at the time, that the word which was God and which became flesh, it is this particular reference that was at the heart of the controversy. And you will notice now, if you turn over with me to Second John, and... Um, What did I give you? I give you Second John uh, two, chapter two, and verse seven. You will see the apostle John responding to what would be called the heretics, those who were seeking to deny that Jesus was God who came in the flesh. Here is what he said. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. They were beginning to spread the heresy. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now that's damning. And what that speaks to is the importance of this belief. How critical it is to the Christian faith. If you look now at 1 John 
chapter 4 and verse 2. John goes a little bit further. He's now defining those who belong to Christ as against those who do not. And he's using this very doctrine as to whether you believe that Christ is God to determine whether you have the Spirit of God. It's very critical. It's very critical. Not something to be taken lightly. So here he's saying, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So if you deny this, what John is saying in verse 3, in, in, uh, in verse 3 of that same uh, John, 1 John 2, 1 John 4, is that, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. You see, if, if I were to say this, you know, today, it would be very offensive. These are pretty offensive remarks for many people. But ultimately, because our desire is to know the truth and to know God, we must deeply consider that the issue we're talking about is just not something of the modern times. And he was grappling with it. And this is how he dealt with it. Now, why was the issue so important that John would have made these extreme statements? Because one may say, Jesus coming in the flesh, we, we all agree, but what, what really is the nuance here? What really is the underlying issue here? Why is it important for us to believe that Jesus Christ came to the flesh. And what is it that was causing those who were opposing the view to say he had not come in the flesh? In the first century, there were what were called the Gnostics, eventually came to be called the Gnostics. This was a kind of a pagan Greek philosophy. They had a view that everything that is physical and material, including the human person, the flesh, is evil. And therefore, if it is evil, there is no possibility that a holy, righteous being, God, would inhabit the flesh. This was the issue. That is why John says, well, anyone who does not believe that God, that is why it became an issue. Because the issue was, God could not inhabit the flesh. That alone is sufficient to tell us that there was something phenomenal about the idea of Jesus Christ in the flesh. It was God who came in the flesh. We understand these nuances about the subject we're discussing. It eliminates many of the, you know, the small points because you can find little things and try to throw them like darts. But understand the big picture. 
And then the other things begin to dissipate. And that is what is happening here. So it is this heresy of Gnosticism that essentially is what John was contending with. And for that reason, he was warning everyone in the church, do not follow these people. Do not listen to them. They have a completely different idea about human flesh, the material world, and how God relates to it. Having laid the background, let us now be very clear. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God. That's not guesswork. It's, it's very clear. The first reference I gave you was from, uh, from John 1.1, which says the word was God. That's very explicit. Now, there are some who take that statement and say, ah, no. It's the word, the spoken word of God that finally inhabited flesh, not a person. So there was no such person as the Son of God prior to the manifestation of Jesus in the flesh. That argument is raised, and we must be aware of it. It's a subtle argument. But in the very verse of John 1 and verse 3, it didn't just refer to the word. It also said, through him, if it were just a word, if it was just a spoken word, you say, through it. This is a person. Through him, all things were made. The word was him. The word was a person. So we need to get that out of the way. There's no need to raise that as an objection. And to further prove that the word was the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, turn with me now, please, to Colossians 1. And we begin in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, 15, He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then verse 16 now supports what John said, that he created all things. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven, things in the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. The angels, 
were created by him. Everything, visible and invisible. All things. It would be very it would not be wise let me put it that way of anyone to refer to the creator of the heavens and the earth the one who created all things and to say it's not God to say that that is not God would be really totally defiant of the scriptural teaching about the creator of the heavens and the earth. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. The creation is declaring the glory of God. So whoever placed it there is God. One would have to disprove that Jesus was the one who created. Of course, we'll get to it. He did this on behalf of his father. His father executed it through his son. Those are concepts that we now will have to grapple with. But before we get there, let's not jump over the fact that Jesus Christ is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one that God commissioned to do it. And therefore, it is foolish to deny that Jesus is God having the evidence that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is a beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy Verse 19, for God, that's his father, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's the point we're going to come to. Because Jesus Christ is not the ultimate authority. He's the son of God. But his father has granted all his authority to his son. So, what we're going to come to later is to understand the family concept of God. And through him, verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, there's no basis for us to say that the creator of the heavens and the earth is not God. And in fact, let's take it a little further to see how this works out. Because what we are saying is, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was a person God commissioned to create the heavens and the earth. And not only to create, but to sustain the whole world and everything in the heavens and the earth. 
is being sustained right now by Jesus Christ. Everything. He is the one that God has given all of this power and authority to. However, there comes a point when Jesus will have completed all of this exercise, the creation and everything. And finally, you will see that relationship coming out a little bit clearer because you'll see now that Jesus is now handing over to the Father all of this work that was given to him and how this family structure is going to be settled. Turn with me please to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and beginning in verse 24. Now look at how it is. So we saw the beginning. We said in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, and we are seeing all that. Now the end is going to come. So you're going to look at the whole. So what we're looking at here is still the big picture. Then the end will come. When, the ha- when he hands over, he, Jesus, the kingdom to God the Father. See how clear it is in your Bible? The Father is the one who has absolute authority, he has granted that authority to his son to do all of the work that has been done, but in the end, the the son will now hand over. He will have completed the project, if you may, and handing it over to his father. So, it says, he hands over the kingdom to God, the father, after he has destroyed all all dominion, authority, and power, which is the power of Satan and whatever, whatever. Verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. It is Christ who reigns. He is the person that is doing everything. Everything. I mean, we are human beings and we, you know, have sons and we do delegate and step back somewhat and allow that son to take charge. We know that. It's not foreign to our thinking. Why, why, why? And this is why it's important to understand the family structure of God. Why it is that when we refer to God, we are referring to a family of beings. Not only the Father. There are times when we are referring to the Father when you use the terminology God. There are times when we are referring to Jesus Christ when using the terminology God. So there are times when you are referring to the whole family in the very way that you can use the terminology man. There's a time when you can be using man to refer to an individual man. There's a time when you can be using the terminology man to refer to all of mankind. These are the concepts we're working with. So, it goes on. 
The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 27. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, meaning under Christ, it is clear. Now look at this relationship. It's coming out. It is clear that this does not include God himself who puts everything under Christ. Ha! There we are. There we are. God has put everything under his son, Jesus Christ. Including worship of Christ. And there's coming a time when all of this now is going to be handed over to God. Verse 28. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him. He will be subject to his Father, God. He still is subject to him, but at the end, he will not now be the one who has it all in his hand. The Father will now, and the Son, and all the sons of God, meaning all the children of God, who by then will have become beings like Jesus Christ, God beings will all dwell with God forever. Notice the many other acknowledgments of Jesus God. In, in John 1, I'm just going to give them very quickly. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, meaning Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's ever seen God. No one else. Because they are the same being. Same type of being. Who is at the Father's side and has made him known. So, so if Jesus is not God, what do you say he is? Are you saying he's an angel like the, like the um, Jehovah Witnesses do? He created the angels. You saw that. So what are you saying he is then? Who created the angels? Who created mankind? Who created the heavens and the earth? Who created all things, visible and invisible? Is he God? Are you going to deny that he is God? Can you deny that he is God? John 20, verse 28. Thomas answered him, meaning Jesus, and said, My Lord and my God. Acknowledging him as God. But there is none that is more profound to prove that Jesus is God than the fact that God himself, the Father, refers to his Son as God. You know, you can find all kinds of arguments, probably get around. But his Father, who you claim is God, acknowledges him, his Son, as God. How dear us to defer, to differ. So, in Hebrews 1, 8, which is actually quoting the Psalms, so this appears in the Bible twice. In Hebrews 1, 8, it says, but of the Son, he says. Let's anyone get around and say, no, he wasn't speaking of the Son, you know, this, 
you know those kind of arguments that people can raise. But of the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is a scepter of his kingdom. So here is a father who you have all faith in. And you claim to be God. Addressing his son as God. Do we have the right then to defer? And to say that he's not God? If you look in Psalms 110 and verse 1, there too you will see where the psalmist, in speaking about both the Father and the Son, he says, The Lord said unto my Lord, he's speaking of the Father, he's speaking to Jesus' the Son. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Those references are not applicable to any other than to God. So in light of these clear statements, and in light of that very clear background of this issue, which the Apostle John signed off on, to make it clear, look, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, look, that's not the Spirit. It's not the Spirit of God. There's in you. How then do we address the question and there are the scriptures which say there is only one God? Because there are scriptures. And those are God's word too. So you can't skip over them. Because there are. You turn, for example, to 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. And it says, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom all things, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. You see now, that's earlier example, that is the Father working with the Son, and the Son who created was the Father who gave him the authority. So you cannot deny that it is the Father who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The method by which it was created was through his Son. So this does not dismiss the claim that Jesus Christ is God. Because he's telling you that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth too. He's telling you there. So you can't use this scripture now to dismiss all of what we have said before. You look in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 to 6. And it says there, For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. 
here, one may say, ah, there is only one God, and then Jesus Christ is one mediator. What he's speaking about here, again, is the role Jesus Christ plays every single role that is in God's plan of salvation. That is what the festivals we observe portray. They portray Jesus as a lamb, the one who died. So, depending on the role in which you're referring to the work of Jesus Christ, because you already see he's created of the heavens and the earth. So this statement does not take away from that. It is showing you in another role. You see that Jesus is the bread of life, which if a man eats, he may live through the days of unleavened bread. You see that it is Jesus and his Father who comes to dwell in us by the Spirit. When Jesus says, the Father and I will come and dwell in you, and that is the Holy Spirit. That's how the Father and the Son dwells in us. Dwell in us. So you see that other portrayal of Jesus. You see him as the coming Messiah who will come through the, at the Feast of Trumpets, portrayed by the Feast of Trumpets. You see him as the King at the Feast of Tabernacles. And you see all these portrayals of him. So whenever you see Jesus being portrayed in a particular manner, you must not take the scripture and isolate it and say, ah, there it is. That's not the way to do a Bible study. A Bible study requires that we take all of the scriptures that pertain to a particular subject matter and to harmonize them by the scriptures. Here a little, there a little. And we bring it together. And this way, we are able to get a full understanding of that subject matter. So the fact that Jesus is referred to here as a mediator, because indeed, as we will see, there is one God, the Father, who is the source of all things. He is also the source for Jesus Christ. That's a subject for a discussion by itself. In John 5, 7, Jesus makes it clear. He says, As the Father hath life in himself, listen to this, Jesus speaking, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Jesus declaring that the life in him is given to him by his Father. Say what you may about that. Blame John 5, But that's where it's written. So the Father is a source of life, the source of authority, and all these sources. And it's the Father who determines who we are. So the question is, since there is only one God, how then is Jesus God? Let us clarify that now. I've alluded to it, but let's look at it more focally. How then is Jesus God? Is he God in the same way that his Father is God? Well, first of all, no, because he's not the Father. 
is the son. So, he's, so already there's a difference. Also, all authority belongs to the Father. Jesus says it. He says, all authority has been given unto me. The Father who gives me the authority is not mine. He makes that clear. It is so clear in the scriptures. There's no hide and seek here. All authority is given to me. The fact that he has the authority designates him now as having that authority which the Father has because the Father has given it to him. And Christ himself makes a point. My Father is greater than I. They're not the same. The Father is greater than the Son. As happens in most family circumstances. The Father's authority. So there's no, you know, nothing being under the table here. Everything is above board. He's making it clear. So, in what way is Jesus God? Even without that authority. Jesus is God because He is exactly fully in every way the same nature as his father, as a son is the full nature of his father. There is no difference between a father and a son in terms of the quality of being. They are both human beings. That is what Jesus is. His exact being. And that's where we're going now. Because what we want to talk about is God as a type of being. That is where many miss the mark on this subject. They are seeing God as this singular person and only as the singular person. And not seeing God as a kind of being that has a son who is a being like him and is bringing into being many other sons. That is what is missing. And if we can get that, then we can understand why you can relate to the entirety of mankind as man. When we say man has lost his way, we are speaking about the entirety of humanity. When we speak of God, we are referring to the entirety of the God beings. Presently, the God family is made up of two beings. But the ultimate plan of God, and that is what the kingdom of God is like. When you talk about kingdoms, you talk about animal kingdom, you think of all animals in that kingdom. But the God kingdom is made up of God beings. It's a good study to have right at the Feast of Tabernacles. Because it helps us to understand this concept then of how you can refer to God and you're referring also to his son. And you're going to be in the future referring to all of the family of God. As it goes. So Christ is God by nature. 
He is by nature God. He's God because he's exactly the being like his father. No different. Just the way a human being, when that human being has an offspring, that offspring is exactly like. So you can't deny that he's a human being. Well, you can't deny that Christ is a God being. You can't. He is, by nature, God. Turn with me, please, to Philippians 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, he is God by nature. He's God because of the kind of being that he is. Can't take it away from him. You can't change that. He's the Son of God. He's exactly like his Father. And so he says, and did not consider equality with God because he was an equal being. Something to be grasped, mean to hold on to. But made himself nothing. He allowed himself to be transformed from a God being to a human being. And that is a big story. That is what these heretics were doing to say, no, God cannot become man. But Christ left off of his, 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 the, the kind of being, the quality of being he was, and decided to take on human flesh. So he says, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So there's another, another nature. That's the human nature being made in human likeness. So there was a change in the kind of of being, so that Jesus became man. As man, Jesus was a pure human being, except for two or so things. One is, he was a perfect human being, without sin, absolutely without sin. He had the full character of God, his father, even while he was a human being. And Jesus was given power by his father, which the ordinary human being does not have. Regular human being does not have. So the question is asked Was Jesus God while he was man? Here's how it is answered in some other quarters. In some other quarters, they say, Yes, he was God while he was man. And the way that happened is that he was operating in two spheres. He had that God nature still and he had the human nature. So when he died as a man, he still was existing 
has a God nature. Now, do you know where that comes from? It comes from the same erroneous doctrine about the immortal soul. That's where it comes from. That's where that concept comes from. When Jesus died, he really died. And the question is whether God can die. When Jesus died, he really died. And as a man, he really went out of existence. Remember, Jesus is not the source that himself is not the source of life. He says, as the Father hath life in himself. It's his Father. So the Father, the Father is the one who gave his Son that he may die. And it is the Father who eventually will raise him up by his Spirit. And so, the sacrifice that Jesus made was not only to become man to, to this lower level of existence, but it was also to give up his life. Jesus could sin. Just like the first Adam. That's why he's called the second Adam. He did not sin. But he was vulnerable. That is why he could be tempted. The temptation that Satan came was not a fake. It was the strength and power of his commitment to what is right and what is holy and what is good. Why he did not yield. But the temptation would make no sense. So he did not say, the Lord your God cannot be tempted. Because he was man. He said, thou shalt not tempt. Because he came in order to, Satan came in order to, to, to do all of that. So, Jesus is by nature God. He gave up the God nature and put on human nature. So when he became a, put on the human nature, he became man. It was a transformation. You know what that is in the Bible to tell us? That is in the Bible to tell us what man's hope is. That man will one day put on the God nature. And when we are changed into the God nature, we won't be human nature anymore. So, so look at that. So when Jesus became put on the human nature, he was not in the God nature anymore. He put on the nature of man. So Jesus is, is, is not God in the sense of being the ultimate authority, but in the sense of having the exact nature of God. However, his father gave authority to him. So he had the authority of God. It's a son. It's a son. It's a son of God. So, God is a kind of being. And the nature of God is what all of us are striving to put on. If you look with me, please, um, at Genesis 1, verse 26. 
you notice there that in creating man, it says God made man not after the animal kind, but after the God kind. Because that's the object of man, that man will ultimately become uh, part of the God kind. And so the process of creating man to become ultimately, and that is the work that Jesus Christ is still carrying on. That is why he has not yet handed over to the Father. The creation is still in process. The creation of man is still in process. It's not complete. And it's not until it is complete that Christ will hand it over to his Father. So, we see there that God said to, to Jesus Christ who was with him, let us make man. And so, they made in our image. So man was made in, in the likeness of God. So God is a kind of being. That is an important point for us to resonate. So, we have God beings and we have human beings. We have God family, we have human family. And God truly is a family. I'm going to, I'm going to use this now, Hebrews 2 verse 5, in order to close off this aspect of the, of the Bible study. We can get into the questions thereafter. There's more that you know, we can do in the in the question and answer period. But turn with me to Hebrews 2, verse 5, so that you can again see this big picture of what God is doing. And why Jesus became man, came to be in the flesh, and how the God family will come into being and how it works. Hebrews 2, starting with verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. That is a very good opening statement. Because the world to come is now going to be subjected to rulership. But it's not angels. Even though the angels are, are, are now above man. It's not. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is man? That you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him. All of this here explains why Jesus now became man. Because what God is showing is what man will become and can become. And so the question is being asked, what is man? What, what, what is all of this going on for? Why do we exist? It continues. Verse 7. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Now, look at all of that statement. But look at what follows. Yet, at present, we do not see everything under him. Because God created man in his image so that man would be exactly like God, but the process is not complete. So, although God, God created man that everything will be under him, yet, at present, we don't see everything under him. That process is still in train. However, verse 9 gives us a picture, and that's why Jesus came. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death 
so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay. So now we are seeing, ah, so this is why he sent Jesus. And you made him a little lower than the angels. So Jesus was lower than the angels. It's not that he was God in the, in the, in the, in the being that he was. He, he really was, was um, transformed. That's the way we will be transformed in the twinkle of an eye. We become where God created the process of Jesus Christ coming to be like man through the process of a birth through Mary. Then verse 10 says now, in bringing many sons to glory, so Jesus Christ is not going to be the only son of God. He's not going to be the only one who is a God being with his father. There are many sons, and the terminology sons in the scripture is not simply a male, because in, 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 in the kingdom of God, there is neither male nor female. But when God made man, he made man first, and then he made woman, and the woman and the man, it, it was, it was a, the woman was pulled out of the man, that's mankind. That terminology covers the whole human race. And it goes on. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, that's the Father, for whom, through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's Jesus Christ. Both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus Christ, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. That's a family concept of God. The family now is only two. God and his son, Jesus Christ. But he's bringing many sons to glory. And we will all be of the same family. All be. So when, when in the future you say God, it will not refer to only the father and the son. It will refer to the entirety of the God family. Just the way you say man, it doesn't refer only to Adam. It refers to all of humanity that came out of Adam. So that is the concept we're working with. So Jesus, it says, is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will bring you praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am. Here am I. And the children God has given to me, that is us. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too sheared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by, their, by fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Adam's descendants. And so he says, for this reason, I had to be made like his brothers. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered, and so 
as a result. And he was tempted, as it says here, just like we are tempted. So the way in which Jesus was tempted is just the way we are being tempted now. Nothing different. There's no superficial, there's no hidden agenda where God sent his son, but you know, he couldn't sin. He couldn't, you know, he was still a God being, but you know, he just appeared like a man. No, he was fully transformed, fully man. When he died, he died. The Son of God died and was raised up to life. And that must be understood. So, you ask the question, can God die? The Son of God, to whom the Father gives life and authority, was made into human flesh. He was transformed to be like a human being. And as a human being, he died. He did not die in God nature. He died in human nature. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.